Hey, welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined by Russell Earnshaw, former professional rugby player, coach developer, and founder of The Magic Academy. Expect to learn how bringing play into practice will benefit your athletes, how coaches need to embrace feedback, the strength and bravery of asking for feedback, the importance of being open-minded as a coach, and much more. But before we get started, please do me the great favor and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're following along on or listening on. It really does make a huge, huge difference, and it's the easiest and cheapest way to support what this show is all about. It allows us to grow the show and get on more guests, more episodes, so I thank you so much for doing that. In other news, don't forget to join The Game Plan, a free email that I send out every Friday morning with inspiration, motivation, and ideas on mindset, mental health, and your perspective. Simply click the link in the description below to join or head over to lewishatchet.com forward slash the dash game dash plan. Thank you so much, and I'll see you Friday morning. Also, if you're interested in developing your mindset or your mental health and know the value of putting your mental game first, you may find the MindStrong Academy helpful. It's an online academy designed to help you become a more confident version of yourself. Not only will you gain access to monthly mindset masterclasses, but also motivational videos, inspirational listening and reading, live podcasts, and much more. The subscription is the cost of a coffee per week, and you can get started with a 14-day free trial. As well as this, you can have the option to sign up to the MindStrong Mindset course, and as a part of that offer, you can get the MindStrong Academy completely free for life. As a listener of this podcast, you get a 20% discount by using the code RYGMindStrong at checkout. That's RYGMindStrong at checkout, and there's a link in the description of this episode. I'll see you inside. But on to today's episode with Russell Earnshaw. Enjoy. Russell, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, your, your name has come up actually loads of times. I didn't mention this to you, but various different people. And I was just like, right, I've got to get this guy on the podcast. So thanks for, thanks for coming on. No, I appreciate it, and well done for coming live from your t-shirt shop. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not first person to kind of pick up on all the shirts that are going on the background. I, there are, and I said the only one that's not there is um, is one of my own that I actually wore as a pro. So I'm probably going to have to go pick one out now. Oh wow! It's I like the. I, said, I think I said to you, I like the England one. That's like, I don't know what year it is, but it's like early two thousands. It reminds me of. Probably makes me think of Kieran Bracken and or Sean Perry playing scrum half for England. Yeah, but well, it was the it definitely was like 03 World Cup vibe. That was what the Bellalio, Martin Johnson's, Johnny Wilkinson, like that's I mean, I was what 13 at the time. So that's what I was I was when I sort of first went to Twickenham. It was when it was at that jersey. I think that's where I got it at Twickenham. So it's the one I've kind of loved ever since, really. Nice. Um, and when people have mentioned me, like, has it been has it been good or bad? Only good, only good. That's it. That's it. Like, man is a cut snake, <laughs> but good. <laughs> <laughs> Look for for people that may not come across you and, and and know your background. Let's let's dive into some sort of like early early years. So you've predomin- you've been in rugby uh, professional, and so give people a little bit of background as to 
your love of rugby, your upbringing in rugby, your upbringing in sport, sort of start wherever you want to start, mate. Yeah, I appreciate you letting me start wherever I want. And again, as a coach <laughs> developer, like, we kind of see people's actions and behaviours, don't we? Then we kind of probably, like, work out whether they're reflecting or, you know, what reasoning they've got or thinking. And then beneath that is probably, like, your values, your beliefs, your skills. And so probably go a long way back because that's probably the important stuff, isn't it? So mm. um, born up north uh, means you're 30% tougher than people down south. <laughs> uh, working class parents, works really hard. Like um, I'm a grafter, as my wife would say. I kind of get stuff done. Hitchhiked to my interview uh, to go to university, uh, which blew my wife's mind when I told her the other week. Um, and so, yeah, just you know, probably thankful for everything I have, quite frankly. And again, come from a, a, a part of the country that's relatively deprived and um, continues to be battered by the Conservatives, which is probably why people might know me as the anti-Tory guy on Twitter. So that upbringing probably is relatively important, to be honest. Um, played loads of different sports. Eventually had a headmaster, Mr England, who said, why don't you go and play rugby at about 13? Uh, so went down to Stockton Rugby Club, became like a huge part of my life. Real good mates, real tight group, amazing coach, guy called Jeff Hurst, not the footballer, who was super inspirational. Was a nightclub at the bound at uh, was a nightclub was a bouncer at the nightclub, the Mal in Stockton. If anyone ever knows of that, so always good to have a coach who can get you easy access to nightclubs when you're 18 or 19. Very helpful. Had one player kill himself who was in our team at a relatively young age. So it's interesting. Like there's a, I see a lot at the moment around what's going on in people's lives. And, and that had quite a profound effect as well, to be honest. And then I was looking at, I guess I went down to Open Day at Cambridge, um, went for a day, stayed for five. And just give me like direction. And again, I think it's really challenging. You've got an 18-year-old son who's, there's so many options now as to what you do that you can almost be confused by it. Uh, for me, at 17, I had absolute clarity. I wanted to go and play in the varsity match at Cambridge, so I worked really hard in my exams. I then went to uni. Academies didn't exist. Had a couple of good games against Bath, got off the contract, went and played for Bath. And then probably, like, the sad thing is, like, my rugby experiences up until 21, 22 when I left uni, probably the best ones I ever had. Uh, and I was probably at my peak as a player at 22 and then professional sport uh, eroded a lot of that from me, which is sad, really. And again, it's a story I hear from a lot of people. Why did that happen? What what caused that erosion of your, well, I don't want to say talent, but your your ability or, or your not being at your peak anymore at, at a really early age? Pretty tough when you can't be yourself, isn't it? When, you know, you go into an environment and, there's expectations and you have to behave like this. You know, you have to uh, have a fight with a British and Irish lion on the bus um, after he's had 10 pints. Like, I think that's pretty weird. Um, uh, so I guess like not being able to be yourself, probably the training wouldn't have been that representative of the game. Yeah, it would be, you know, there's a bit of a them and us from players who like older, more established players probably weren't thinking like mentors that would have been what i would have benefited from by the way i'm definitely taking some responsibility for this as well but i was chatting to a player yesterday sam smith who helps players with their transition 
post sport and um i we just both said the same thing like if i had a really good mentor someone who'd helped me make sense of stuff who'd gone now rusty you're being stupid or actually rusty yeah here's i think you need to have a challenging conversation here's some kind of top tips to help you have that then uh, that would have been super helpful for me and i guess uh, i know we chatted briefly about it before i think I can't remember if you called it like your anti-mentors, but clearly mm. um, those experiences have shaped me. And I, and I will signpost that at the start when I'm kind of talking about what I think coaching is, that we're a product of our experiences and I am rebelling and breaking the rules on the experiences I had because they weren't helpful. And it's, I think look, I, I've got such, uh, I, I resonate with that so much. There's so much of it that it's really tough for an individual in those you said you took responsibility it's really tough for individuals in that environment especially when you're not a senior player to just put your hand up and go this ain't right this 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 is not a good thing uh, how we're doing things i believe it should be done the other way because ultimately all that's going to happen is go who the hell are you you're not the senior player you've got x amount of caps behind you we've got hundreds more sit down be quiet this is how it's always done and then again that then just creates people that are just more product of their environment but in a negative way but also you're the one in there that's got the awareness of it hoping to be a another way but just almost unable to change it and that's where i've seen younger players vo voices being really important in uh in, in environments because especially when games are changing right you could have a, a 35 year old in a squad that's thinking of it being a certain way but completely unwilling to have that young person have a, an opinion and actually being open and honest to having that young person's opinion could completely be exactly what everyone needs regardless of whether you've got a, a one cap or a hundred caps i remember there's a funny story i think i've told it before in the podcast but i remember doing a players camp in um, south africa and we we, we was a bowl, it was a bowlers camp and we turned up to our training session and in the sort of nets next to us was an international south african bowler batting in the nets and he had brought one of his mates down to to watch it or to feed them bowling machine and after the net he came out he's out there collecting balls he's interrogating his mate on what he thought he was doing and we're kind of looking at him going this guy's like in board shorts and flip-flops and you're asking him what his opinion is but we also kind of clicked at the same time when well, he's, he's just completely irrelevant to this guy's experience. He's just asking him what's going on here. He's not, he stripped his ego away, said, I'm willing to accept anyone's opinion. Whether you, go, whether you listen to it is another thing, but he just was completely open to taking on anyone's opinion. And I think those environments where I've been in with senior players that haven't been doing that, they're, they're so challenging. They're, they're really, really tough. Yeah, while you were talking, I was kind of trying to write a menu of options. So uh, hire for open-mindedness. Yeah. be something I would think a lot about. Saracens, the most open-minded environment I go in. They'll ask you more questions than you ask them. Got someone to go in the other day who was an analyst at another club in the Premiership, and he said, um, Rusty, do you think it's weird that within an hour of being there, I felt more like I belonged at my other club in a year? And it's like, so so probably like think about the first 10 minutes of someone's experience to help them belong as, you know, as quickly as possible. Um, upskill the senior players on being great, great coaches and mentors. 
bring in naive experts regularly. So that new person that comes in, getting them to feedback, how could the environment be better? We do that with a few of the businesses I work with. Three months in, you present back on how you'd make the business better. Not only do we ask for feedback, we definitely act on it. Super important. As a head coach, probably like deliberately making mistakes, uh, showing vulnerability, checking whether people pick up on what. Because, of course, if you make a mistake deliberately and no one picks up on it, then I don't know whether I'll swear on your podcast, but you're pretty much fucked, aren't you? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, then just like start this. I've, I've been on a bit of a tirade. Like everyone started preseason the same, didn't they? They're on the assault bikes. It looks like they're doing the Tour de France. But actually spending a bit of time, get around the campfire, invite some families, talk about why you love sport and why you love being part of this club, practice challenging conversations, talk about people's strengths, help people with, you know, just get better at receiving feedback and giving it. Like the stuff that ultimately, and people use the word detail a lot in rugby. I think that's really important detail. You know, understanding how's Rusty on a good day, how's he on a bad day, what can we do to help him have more good days than bad days? On a bad day, what is it he needs from us? Like the stuff that's really important. And what do we do? We put him on a bike. We make him do a bronco. We measure some stuff that's easy to measure. And we repeat year after year after year. And we what? We come near the bottom of the league and we still do the same stuff next season. Like it's mind blowing to me. Yeah. So, so when you came, I guess, you got to that period where rugby started to change you and then you come out of rugby from a playing point of view. Did you come out of it with a sort of fire in your belly to want to do something about what you've experienced or did it take a little bit of time to create what you've created? That's a great question. I mean, how was it for you? Did you have fire in your belly when you left? Look, I, I left through injury. It was totally not what I wanted. I, I was 26 and I, I didn't want to leave. I was actually getting better. Um, so kind of different from you in the sense that we'd actually transitioned the squad from what I came into and it was coming, it was now a lot of the old guard had retired and that team, just the context, the team that I came into was one of the most successful teams in a decade in, in professional county cricket. And those guys then naturally retired. They got to sort of late thirties and, and start to move on. And we were changing the team and there was more opportunity coming and then bang, like 7th of July, 2016, my career ended. And I, 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 I didn't want to leave. So I think I was in this, uh, my own personal experience was just like a loss of identity for the first bit. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think actually, if I reflect, I, I was similar in the sense that I knew what well, I'd learned from some bad experiences, how I wanted to do things in the future. But I also knew that I I definitely wanted to coach. I didn't know how I wanted to coach. I didn't know almost what I wanted to coach. But I knew I wanted to help people. And I knew I wanted to take what I'd learn, learn more about the world, how to coach, how to deliver it, and then be a personality that could help others and kind of be the person that I feel I didn't have. So you mentioned about having that that mentor, that guide at young age. That's exactly what I feel I am now. I, I'm I'm building myself into that person that, I would have wanted to pick up the phone and talk to. And, and with that, that's, I think only in the last year or so, I've really started to get that pride in and actually that's coming together. And actually the what and how I do it is, is, uh, is now coming together. Whereas the, the why has probably always been there to like really help people and help them feel good about themselves because 
I think when I was when I was younger, especially an athlete, I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't feel whether that was what other people were saying or the expectations of others. I didn't. I just didn't feel good. So I want to create athletes, people that can be. I don't like using almost like a billboard statement, like be the best version of themselves, but like just be authentically themselves, and and do that to the best of their ability without any sort of feeling careful feeling worried feeling anxious about what others say about them what what they think about themselves they're actually proud of that person they're trying to become um so for me the transition was not one that i wanted but now i think the fire has slowly built and now i've got real fire now now i have it's taken seven years <laughs> so yeah. that's that's what i've had yeah i would say yeah probably I had some good experiences towards the end of my career anyway, because I played a fair bit of sevens, which is probably my... If I didn't have sevens, I'm not sure I would have played rugby for much. I think I would have left at an earlier age. Um, um, and then I guess, yeah, probably like the, the fire in the belly gets stronger. Uh, some stuff I wrote while you were talking there, like, I guess when you have kids, so that's definitely like their experiences of being coached has definitely uh, put some kerosene on the fire. Like, uh, speaking to current players who are like frustrated, like, I was really, really looking to cut, you know, spend some time in the pathway with England and coach with some amazing coaches and learn from some amazing people and some amazing players. And when you go and see those players and speak to them, and they're underwhelmed, or they're saying, Look, I've just got to come to terms with the fact that I'm never going to enjoy rugby as much as I did when I was 18 or. I'm really trying to get better, but the coaches are preventing me or, you know, the coaches don't speak to us or, you know, you like, and that probably puts a little bit more fuel on my fire, if I'm honest. And I guess I've also got to, you know, I've got to temper that because you, you always think you're going to change the world, but you're not. You might make a few little dents here and there. I'd be really like measure myself on hugs, which I think is like impact and ripple effect and, um, Guess you can you can do everything you can, but it's yeah, it's like it's tough. I, I spoke to an ex-player yesterday, actually. So he's not an ex-player; he's a current player. You know, he's played. He's got a lot of international caps, and I just you know just looked at some of the stuff on Twitter and listened to a few pods and was like, I'm so pleased. There's another way, Rusty. Like I want to learn more about it. I really want to be a great coach. I want to be there, you know. And and you'd probably look at this guy and go, Oh my god, he's got X number of caps. He's played X number of you know. And yet, it's the same story as me. And like, you know, it's, it's 20 years on. What do you think causes this? What do you think causes these bad negative environments that people are being molded to the wrong, to, to, to squash who they really are and to not allow them to enjoy the sport? Like, I think it's variable. And of course, I, I'll caveat it with there are some really good environments. So I yeah, get to go and hang with some cool environments. Yeah. Now, I mean, the reality is because I work for myself, I tend to go to the cooler environments, don't I? So <laughs> they're, they're more open-minded. Uh, in rugby, the teams that I've done stuff with in the last few years, they're the, they're the teams that finished in the top four. Like, they are, like, they're the most open-minded teams, in my opinion. Other people might differ in opinion, but like, that's that's been my experience. I think we're just lagged behind in some areas. We probably undervalue things like psychology and coach development. I think we've got a lot of coaches who are 
it can be like week to week can be pretty exhausting. You know, it eventually grinds you down. I definitely know some guys who were like rock star coaches 10 years ago and I see them now in the Premier and I think, oh, like, that's sad, eh? That I think it's a James Clear quote. Uh, you don't rise to the level of, the, of your goals, you fall to the level of the system. And so I think that happens a fair bit. There are, you know, there are people that have, you know, like I had a terrible ex-boss. Everyone I speak to has a had a, you know, coaching experience that isn't that helpful with him. And he still gets jobs. And so I think also, especially in rugby, like the the power of the owner and their, you know, what they do around recruitment and sometimes isn't, you know, they're sometimes not making great decisions. But that can change in an instant. I was speaking about, you know, uh, Wayne Smith, like Wayne Smith came over to Northampton Saints and then you speak to the players and they're like, Budge Pountney said to me, literally had to like sleep for a week afterwards. My brain was hurting so much from thinking. Like it was the best, most exhausting season I ever had. I improved so much. So it only takes like a little bit to to change that. Yeah, look. Um, I guess I've just got to be comfortable that hopefully I'll I'll help make a bit of a dent. So if you're going into an organisation, into a team, an environment, a, a new environment, what 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 is the first thing that you're looking at to try and assess and hopefully change? I know there's so many different things that you will probably will look at, but if you're walking in, what you got your eye on straight away? That's a great question, by the way. Um, and again, just some examples. So I went to one place and they, before I arrived, they gave me, here's our values, here's the stuff we believe in. Now, Rusty, we'd love your feedback at the end of the day on it. Well, that's, that's pretty open-minded, isn't it? I think of Northampton Saints. We, uh, Dow said, I oh, will do a bit of a debrief at the end of the day. And every coach sat in there and we chatted for probably an hour and a half. So probably looking at the people. Saracens is the best one. Like honestly, you can you can remember going in and like how people make you feel and how quickly you feel like you're part of it, and like they've paid attention to that. And then I guess I'm just interested in the interactions. I put a huge value on like co-creation and players and ownership. I think is super important. Probably two things I think are super important: ownership and kindness. So people being kind to each other. By the way, being kind is also going like, hang on a second, Lewis. We agreed this and. You've just dipped below that. Like, do you need any help from me on that? Mm. As well as putting my arm around you when stuff's going tough and high-fiving you and stuff. I mean, it can be lots of different things, can't it? Uh, and ownership because, like, in our sport, you have to make decisions on the pitch. Uh, it was interesting, the player I spoke to yesterday, he said, Rusty, if I had a pound for every coach who's told me, like, I want the players to own it. Da, da, da. And then on a match day, he's screaming down the thing, telling us what to do, giving us 20 things to put into our head before the game. I'd be a rich man. And so I probably, yeah, I guess like it's helpful if people signpost what they're about. And then the thing, and I know what agitates me. So the thing that stresses me the most is when they say this and they do this and there's a gap. So I can live with, Rusty, we're not that good. Like, we really want to get better. We're da-da-da. Versus we're really kind, we care, we love our players, and then people shout, coaches are shouting and screaming at players or shaming them or sending them off the pitch because they made two bad passes. Like, so 
I, I guess there's not one thing, and I, and, and I, the two Twitter threads I did recently around Oyanak and, and New Zealand sevens probably play into what you spoke about that no environments are the same. So, for example, with Oyanak, we did a I would do projects and experiments. So we did a project around non-selection. Joe will probably have a thousand non-selection conversations a year. He'll have more non-selection than selection. So let's get good at this. With New Zealand Sevens, we wanted to look at uh, how the players could take more ownership. So we did some projects around things like them running half times. We looked at how we did meetings better to so the players own stuff. So I guess it's just different for different environments and Sometimes, like people know what it is. Like other times, you might go, "Look, have you thought about this? Should we have a bit of a a play with this?" And I'm lucky enough to have worked with some really open-minded coaches. But it's it's fascinating. So even a good one. So Joel Abbott, Oyanak, and I just got promoted into the top fourteen. And I think Joe's a rock star. Joe's so different to me, which is also cool. So Joe's super process. So Joe said to me before Christmas, "Oh, mate, I've done the planning and I've." looked at the, you know, the the loads and all this stuff and, like, we're going to have to come in on New Year's Eve. I'm like, mate, like, honestly, like, families, da-da-da. So, anyway, so we come up with this way of, like, that essentially we know they're going to get New Year's Eve off, but it's going to be, like, this really motivating experience. They're going to do some stuff that basically they get this off. And, and he does that. But just to, like, I love the fact that Joe's instinct is this. But like to hear a different perspective on this and for someone to go, hang on, like wives and girlfriends, how are they going to be feeling about this? And I, I might have told this story a couple of times, so apologies, but Tony Ensor, who's a Kiwi who plays at Oyanak and wasn't picked for the for the semi in the final and had been an integral part of the team and wasn't even in the squad. And so I, mess- I saw after the final, I watched the final uh, online and then I messaged Tony. I said, oh, my great to see you on the pitch with your kids. And he messaged me back and he said, uh, oh, Rusty was amazing. Um, I'm exhausted. I feel like I played 80 minutes with the lads. And like for someone who potentially it's like the end of his career, potentially it could be the last game he never played. He wasn't picked. He wasn't even on the on the bench. But like felt part of it is like, oh, that's good feedback, isn't it? It's the type of stuff that you go, again, that's something, isn't it? So what type of things am I looking at? Like. Well, how engaged are the players that aren't playing? And what are the coaches doing around that? So as at Saracens and Mark McCall was speaking to a player two days before before the game, player who wasn't in the 23, but would be really important for them in terms of their energy as a group. And he spoke to him for an hour and a half. And he said, Rusty, that's my most important conversation of the day. Like, so... Yeah, I think they would be, in my experience, and I've been in lots of environments, I think Saris would be the most intentional around interactions. Who's the best person to go and have that conversation? Where? When? Why? What does that conversation look like? Let's practice it a little bit. Let's get some feedback on the conversation. Like The coaches are like doing deliberate practice as well as the players. The... the... I just want to touch on Saracens there because it's interesting. My brother's um, business partners with Saracens and he loves working with them. And I I don't really know the Ray family. I don't know their their sort of ethics and values. And, and like you're saying, it, 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 I can't imagine at the top it's, it, it's completely different to what you're creating, you're talking about. But I'm also interested to know if you know, 
whether Saracens were always like this. Did they draw a line in the sand and say, this is a new path we want to take? Or have they always had this, this culture? Yeah, I think that, well, they did, didn't they? They had whatever they called it, like Black Monday, where people lost their jobs and Brendan Vendor. And, and I do think Nigel Ray, having met him and listened to him speak, would like, it's good to have a good owner, eh? Mm. Uh, by the way, you know, salary cap, they haven't got everything right. I'm not saying they're perfect. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, and then I guess the thing that's interesting for me is that you look at a club like Bath that I played at and they refuse to, like they, they deliberately ignore what came before. But what Saracens haven't done is ignore what's come before. They've gone, let's learn from the highs and lows of what's come before and understand, like, you know, I, I think you've got a T-shirt about the stories that we tell ourselves. But what are the stories that like help us understand who we are and where the line is and where it isn't? You know, what we're willing to draw the line on and, and all that type of stuff. So they're always like, whereas what I also see in lots of other clubs is, oh, new culture, new coach, be a three-year rebuild. Um, will we do, you know, leave, leave some players, new coach come in. Oh, yeah, it'll be a three-year rebuild. But also neglect what came before, you know, so. There's some, you know, people like Martin Hogg who live in Bath who have definitely tried to nudge some of the previous Bath coaches. You might want to check in with Hagee and he's a great coach. He also understands the history of the club and what it meant to be and Roger Spurrell taking them for a run by the river and all the, and all those type of stories. So I think the, the best organisations also are willing to go, look, well, what, have we, like, what have we learned from the past about ourselves? And I love, go back to Wayne Smith, eh? When I did, um, when I had uh, Scott Robertson on the podcast, just spoke about uh, we've been doing like storytelling and theming with with the Crusaders since '95 with Smithy, and like everything's linked, and they just got this thread of history, and like doesn't surprise me they've just won like seven Super Rugby titles in a row or whatever it is. Like they're just relentless around like who we are, what we stand for, because that when you understand that, like. It's easy to recruit. It's easy to like, not easy, but it's easy to understand why people, why you let go of people, but also let go of them in a in a kind way as well. Again, I would probably nudge some people around that as well. Mm. I mean, I've I was in. I spoke about my transition kind of time when my career was ending, and we were transitioning into a new era. And I think I think back at it, and if I'm honest, like we didn't we didn't. We didn't lean on that past. Well, actually, a couple of things happened. What we did is we went down two routes. We went down, we're going to do now like we've done in the past, or we're going to completely cut that and try something and be new. And the perfect middle ground is the blend. It's it's what does the new coach want to create by adding, not changing. I think of it, I always thought of it, or I always think of cultures or teams, especially that have been around for a while, of them just having a foundational layer and you don't break that foundation apart. You just add on top of it. You just keep layering. And it's that's where I think football can be really interesting is because it's so fast moving in those cultures, changes. Do the, does the coach bring in their ethos? Does, do you keep what the club history, like Man United, right? Think of just how to take a culture and an ethos and, and, and a way it's been for years and just, try to reshape it, rebrand it. And I I don't know the inner sanctums, but that's that for me is, is just 
completely disregarding what has come before and realizing how it can affect it can it can be helpful now because i think sometimes people think the past teams or playing in the past like the game is different now and it, we can't use what's there go, well, hold on human being interaction doesn't really change that much like as long as you you look after your people you you, you do good things for the human beings then the sport yeah you, tactically you can change if you want to but it's the people look after them first yeah the chiefs in super rugby is a really good example they've hit the final this year i think the season before i'm not sure they won a game and they've actually Clayton uh, McMillan's gone as coach, and he would really like understand the manner of of that team and like what it means to be a Maori and reconnect them with that. And alongside Walshie with the mental skills stuff, like suddenly you're tapping into like emotion and connection and like. So I know they lost in the last few minutes of like the final, but to do what they did this season is quite frankly remarkable. With similarish players. Probably a slightly different coaching style. They had Gatlin before who, I think, again, the best coaches, like there's there's some super coaches on the planet who I think if they went anywhere, Wayne Smith, New Zealand women lose by about 70 points to England and a year later, they beat us in a World Cup final. Like one man changed. So there's some super coaches. I think other coaches go, oh, I'm going to go and do what I did in this other place here. And so, yeah, like, Gatlin's a good one. It'd be interesting to see how he goes back. Now he's back with Wales. I'm not. I'm not that set on the waterboarding, if I'm brutally honest. But he's always seemed to get get a good, you know, get good performances out of Welsh players. Now, having coached a lot of teams with Maori players in, it's completely different. You become a bit more of a storyteller. You definitely do more singing. Probably doing more stuff emotionally. I'm probably thinking more about how can I connect it with their families a bit more as well. Like. So there's some stuff there that yeah, will just make, you know, context vile, isn't it, like in all of this. So when I'm thinking about coaching and coach development, like one of the big things is context. Yeah. Uh, the interesting bit where you're saying about talk, uh, giving coaches or you know, when you've gone into an organisation, you're giving coaches feedback to about what's going on, especially if they're open to taking it and they're asking you, take a look at our values, take a look at our setup. What do you think? Always think about that is a genuine, tangible example of when people talk about vulnerability being a strength, because that's brave to do that. That's courageous to ask for that feedback and then be willing to someone essentially rip your heart out and go, this this do doesn't look right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not ripping hearts out, by the way. You know, it's um, open heart surgery, maybe. Yeah. When I did a bit of work at Rangers a, a, a few years ago, like, it was the first time that I went, look, I, we have options. We can do mild, medium, or spicy. And the other way that I would present feedback is through questions. So I generally would design some questions, and then, like, I would get them to choose the, the, which ones they want to talk about. And now if they don't pick one that I think would be important, I might go and I'll pick two questions as well. So questions like, like, what stuff's come up? Share one thing with the coaches that will help them work with you better. Uh, who's in charge of standards and why? Uh, yeah, just design, you know, like which, you know, which which of our values do we live the most today? Which one do we live the, the least? Like, so I'll just design questions and then get them to, so it definitely doesn't feel like open heart surgery. Hmm. I guess like designing helpful questions is is helpful for them. And again, I again, like choice is a really important thing to me. So I would want to create choice in that. like. Stuff being meaningful is important. So 
I would want to find which questions they pick. And I would definitely also be interested in why didn't we pick these questions? I'm curious, like, um, which questions do you think? Like the question that if we answered this question, it would make the biggest difference to this team. Like, are there any questions that are missing? And just give people that kind of space to, to probably interrogate themselves a little bit more and just step back and go, okay, why are we doing this? You know, what's what's the stuff that we're doing well? And I guess I'm, I would also try and be strengths-focused as much as possible. I don't always get that right. Ask my wife and son. My son often tells me off. Uh, I think he only hears the bad stuff. The I did a lot of stuff in my teams where we did sort of speed dating with the players. And one of the things I really regret that we didn't do was, and I think it was the key component that didn't allow us to implement the changes that we'd hoped as well as we had hoped was that we didn't allow as a part of that to have it with the coaches. It was, it, it was quite possibly one of the biggest keys that never got put in front of us to unlock everything. It, what do you think about that? Do you think that is a, is that something gonna, that you've done? Oh yeah, of course. Like, yeah, vital. Like, you know, like who do you want in the room and why? Like, is you know, and it might be the coaches and the players. It might be at times it's, but being really thoughtful around who needs to be in the room for this to have the most impact. Uh, what did you notice when they did speed dating? As the players. Players, yeah. We we did it where it was one, we literally did it with a full squad. So it was one piece of motivational, one piece of develop, developmental. We'd also precursed it with a lot of insights work. Yeah. So we were very, very aware, even though I know insights is developed and they do it, they give people bricks to hold and things like that every now and then but we we started to understand if i'm speaking to you what color are you how can i deliver that feedback from a personal point of view it was a, an incredible exercise because it meant i could speak to my teammates completely differently and also understand the way in which it, i would want to present that information so i knew some of my teammates that were potentially quite deep thinkers I wouldn't have perceived as deep thinkers, but it came out that they were. And if they were, I don't know, if they were being fairly selfish in training, that saying to them, look, mate, you're being selfish. I think you need to help out around the team. Saying it like that would really, wouldn't have gone, gone through, would have really affected them. So doing things like saying, oh, look, I noticed that when, when you're training, there's a couple of moments where perhaps some of the other guys could really help, could do with your help. And, and sort of present that way. So I, that was really good. When the guys were understanding of how each other presented the information and the feedback, that was really helpful. I think one of the funny things in team environments like that is that everyone, there can be a them and us mentality sometimes between the extroverts, the introverts. Everyone feels like uh, at the time, just in our team, there was everyone thought, right, you need to be an extrovert because this is what a, a loud player is a good player, essentially. And that wasn't the case. Um, almost well, consistent. Well, politics is, is uh, presenting that to us, isn't it? Just because you have uh, totally extroversion. Um, and the end, I, I mean, I, I was interested because every time we do anything around speed dating, the energy in the room is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Was, that's a great point. Yeah, it was. It was like, brilliant. Buzzing out the room. Why wouldn't I want to know, like, what? How would you like like feedback? Now there's 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 wants and needs. What's it that motivates you? Where do you get confidence from? 
What might take away your confidence? What does trust mean to you? How can I get the best out of you? What do you look like on a good day? Like all of that information is like, like if I didn't know that, it's like how am I going to like work with you? Is the way I think about it. That comes way before tech tech. So yeah, yeah. I shared this. I sat on a surfboard with Barry Barnes in Australia, <laughs> and we chatted about you know good day, bad day, and he went, "Rusty, you're the first person I've had that conversation with." I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like that, no one's had a conversation with you about helping you have a good day, and just like, mate, it's blown my mind. And and because he'd been telling me all the time about detail and details, I'm like, mate, that's what detail is. And by the way, I'm not decrying tech tech. I'm not stupid. Like, but what I am saying is that, like, especially in professional sport, where like you're under reasonable amounts of stress quite often, and you know the the microscope and and judgment and all that stuff goes on. And having this kind of layer beneath of understanding each other, how can I be at my best? Where do I go under stress? What gives me confidence? Like is vital. Otherwise, you're just fragile, aren't you? You're just like it's just going to break. Yeah, I think the also the thing when you go into those sessions is that you sometimes as a player, and again, this was probably built off the, the way the culture was going in, was you instantly assume you're going to get a ton of negative feedback. Oh my god, you're just going to tell me how rubbish I am. But one thing we did do, which I'm trying to look around the room, I have it behind me, but. It was um, they they led in with a sheet of paper around the room with everyone's name on and just present and and everyone's name was at the top. Everyone was given a pen, and you had to go around and write about what that person inspired you with. Now, what they, the cool thing was that you couldn't see the answer that was put on last. You had to like fold it up, and just that led into the room. Like, okay, I am really liked and loved within this team. There's people like me for something. So then you felt already that regardless of what's coming my way there's some sense of belonging and then the other bit was that buzz that you felt outside of the room by the way again great activity i've still got mine from my 95 varsity match uh, in my bag downstairs and again whenever you do that activity people go oh why did you never tell me that yeah yeah, again, yeah. like oh my days like and you know put your mask on stiff up a lip don't mm. tell anyone what they're good at like come mm. on everyone like this is ridiculous yeah. So then the second bit, walking out the room with it being this, you've got a few things that you're going to develop on. You've also probably had a, a range of things that people have seen because obviously other people will pick up different things. And, and people felt really motivated because they had like a how to guide on how to get better. Because if you're honest, as an athlete, you kind of know what you want to get better at. But you're also kind of wandering around in the dark a little bit. You don't really know which one to take all the time. You do need that guidance, whether it's from the coach, whether it's from the players. And, and that's where I also think where coaches say, I want my players to be accountable. I think sometimes it's a bit of a cop out for coaches. I think you, you have to say, are you or just guide in a way, not tell, but guide and go, what are you working towards? Can I be of assistance? And but when we, when it came from the players, that was a really powerful place because the, the sort of the third and last bit was they could hold you accountable. You, they they could genuinely see like okay, if you're going into the next session, can I call you out, Rusty, for doing what you're do, you're not doing? And, and if you've literally got it on a piece of paper and you've said right, I I want to go and work on on this technical bit or this tactical bit or this part of my training, and that's where I'm going to put my energy and focus in at some stage of my training. If I don't see that. 
then I can go, hey, mate, what's up? Is there something going on? Can we get you on stage? Come do it with me. And it just started to snowball. It just started to snowball. But the bit that was missing was the coaches. The bit that was missing was having that change and that ability to give them the feedback so that the players could help drive where the game and the culture or the team just needed to go that next bit. How many, because how many coaches have you seen intentionally getting better every day, either through like working together collectively or they've got someone external in to come and help them get better? So, so sorry. The one, yeah, majority have had the exter- wanted the external help. So majority have asked for the and, and I just think about the amount of work. When I say regularly, I don't mean like four or five times a year. I mean like, you know, maybe they're visible. Maybe the stuff the coaches is working on is visible, or maybe they got someone who's like they're videoing themselves. They're asking you for feedback on their coaching. They're like, how many coaches in your career have you gone? They're like nine or ten out of ten on this. One, maybe two. One, maybe two. Because I think the thing that aren't to answer this, go a little step further, and especially from having now gone in the psychology world, is it's just ego. Like it's pure, like I need to be, I cannot be seen as the one that doesn't know the answer or slightly weaker or, yeah, don't understand, not not knowledgeable in that. If I'm not seen as knowledgeable, and I think that's just such a, especially some of the work that I'm looking at now is perfectionism and perfectionistic climates within teams and especially a coach's perfectionism. So it's called other orientated perfectionism onto their players. And so what I'm interested to find out is if a coach is saying, you need to be perfect, I need you to be perfect. What that creates in sort of a motivation, a self-talk, a a willingness to take on failures or fit to, or the, maybe an increase in fit of failure and reduction of taking risks. Now, reduction in taking risks and risk-taking isn't, I'm going to go base jumping. That could be, I'm going to try something slightly different in my tactics or my decision-making than what I've done before, even if I know the decision that I've done before has cost me a, fa- a failure because I just know that's the safe option. I'm worried what the coach is going to think of me if I don't stick to something perfect. So I've, um, I'm interested in that area as well of, of this part of that conversation because the those coaches that are trying are showing to be imperfect, the England cricket team right now is just a really interesting environment. Brendan McCullum going, go ahead, fail, entertain, take risks, be yourself. That will be a scary place for a lot of coaches to do that because they will fear maybe feeling like they're not knowledgeable enough, they're not, they're not strong enough and, and all sorts that goes on with that. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? Just seeing like the influences. So the guy that died on the pitch had a big influence on Brendan, didn't he? And his outlook and on risk taking. For me, like I would call it experiments. It would be an important part of uh, any kind of experience I'm putting together with the team that we would be trying coaching experiments regularly, just to get feedback and find out whether it, you know, that's an option we might add to our toolbox. You also triggered me with the word accountable, only because it's often not co-created, is it? So. It's imposed upon us. I did this for the first time with a business the other day, actually. I just said, right, I want everyone to write on a post-it. Uh, what's the next challenge? And what's the challenge in the six months that you're going to have to be prepared for, like from a skill point of view or your development? Like, So let's like pre-mortem it. Why? Um, who in the room could help you or is helping you and how? 
So again, team full of leaders. Um, everyone was able to do it, kind of. And yeah, I think it's this thing that's cool, like cool. Who knows someone else's? Who thinks they're on? Who can tell me that they're definitely on someone else's poster? Who's got a poster the same as you? Like, no one. Like, oh my God. Like, same. Like, the players need to know what the coaches are working on. Like, players are the best at holding them to account. So, uh, Fletch had a great game called the Pineapple Game, and I've been running it with businesses a bit now. Uh, yeah. And just like, so one of Fletch's was the word definitely, because it's rarely definitely. It's definitely not like 100%. And, he, and he, after one meeting, uh, Ben L just said to him, that's 18 pineapples, Fletch. That's how many times you said the word. So just like the players holding you to account and the coaches holding you to account, but just constantly trying new experiments, like risk-taking. What's the new stuff we're going to do? Again, that leans into vulnerability as well. And my experience actually is that not that many coaches are perfectionists. So they are perfectionists, but at a very low level. Mm. They're not willing to go, right, what is possible? Let's take coaching forward. Let's change the game. Let's, like, where is it going? Let's get really into storytelling. Let's understand, like, this stuff. Like, how we can, how am I going to get better at that? I think people are safe. They're comfortable. Um, I worked with a guy the other day, and I loved his description. So I worked with a team at Abbott um, over COVID, and they did remarkable stuff. Ross Campbell used to be a rugby referee. Remarkable stuff. I think it was ridiculous. Like they're 6% of the business size and they were responsible for 40% of the growth. And he just said, Ross's team, are, Phil, the guy I worked with, said, Ross's team are in the 1% club, Rusty. 99% of people are, walk, are sleepwalking through life. Ross's team are intentional. They want to get better. They're in the 1% club. So I'm just like, I just like, Send to people, do you want to be in the 1% club? Do you want to be in the, like, and I, and I, and I think it's probably similar ratios, quite frankly, in uh, in coaching. Yeah. Just want to back up, if you're all right with doing it, because people that may not know, what what is the pineapple game? Uh, pineapple game, sorry, is, yeah. So everyone agrees some stuff they want to get better at. So we do it with a business the other day, like, did anyone come today with something they want to practice? Someone might go, actually, I'm working hard on asking better questions. Or I'm working hard on taking a step back when normally I would step in and problem solve. Cool. We can have, we put it up on the whiteboard and we can like, and we can just hold each other to account with a playful, throw a pineapple to each other. So every time, you know, uh, Lewis asks a great question, like pineapple, Lewis, that's an awesome question. Like, but also every time Rusty steps forward to problem solve, like Rusty, best you have the pineapple. I want to make stuff playful. Like I want to make feedback playful. I, might have mentioned it. I, I, I got an Elmo and a Cookie Monster, and I use them similarly. So, Elmo is enough. Let's move on. Uh, if someone's talking too much, they get the Elmo thrown to them. I, I, I signpost it beforehand. I go, put your hand up if you think you're going to get thrown the Elmo. People like me put my hand up, and then I'm really cognizant of not talking as much. And then the Cookie Monster is, uh, you get the Cookie Monster if we think it's a really interesting idea. We want to delve into it, or we'd love to hear this person's perspective on it and so i go put your hand up if you think you'll get the cookie monster those people don't put their hand up but they get pointed to by people who recognize the valuable people in the room and so i'm always just trying to playfully i mean deliberately that's just deliberate practice yeah i love that 
that but bringing the playful element into it is just so important and i've I've recently been reading up a lot of the research on deliberate play and deliberate practice so from a sport point of view especially in professional sport how much do you try to integrate play into a professional sport environment yeah it's in i guess like um the stuff we've done with oinac and uh, I, I know fletch john fletcher is the best coach i've seen i haven't seen wayne smith so i can't like compare the two but I do think some people think he's like a kid's coach because it's the stuff he does. He like really simplifies stuff. Someone said to me the other day, uh, we were just talking, I was talking about this with the coach the other day. And he said, I, I remember Fletch doing this. He ran up to the defender, threw the ball over and caught it. And he said to everyone, if you could do that in a game, would you do it? And everyone went, yeah, he went, that's kicking. Like, so he's really good at simplifying stuff. You know, like when you're thinking about depth, you'd just be like, okay, anyone takes the ball standing still, it's a turnover. And suddenly everyone's like adjusting their depth and thinking about their depth so that, so people think that's like kids coaching, but all the stuff we've done with the Kiwis and with Oynak, and they've had some decent seasons to be fair to them, has been really playful. Like Joe Elab, like uh, Joe, Joe Revovu, plays on the wing i'm like mate is he going to touch the ball or not like so they said look joe like what's your favorite chocolate bar if you touch the ball 10 times you get your favorite chocolate bar so joe touches the ball exactly 10 times scores a couple of tries like he's just like he's more of a threat in the middle than he is on the edges he's he's, he's against the worst defenders and um but honestly and then I, I i was in the meeting after like some of these little individual challenges and joe's got this packet of uh, mini Mars bars, and it is like seals. People are like, <laughs> trying to get their mini Mars bar because they've achieved their goal. I'm like, these are the grown-ups. Like, how cool is this? So I would want to put playful into everything. Like, we're humans. Like, uh, the minute it starts becoming a bit serious and a bit like, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But, and, and, and think about the reasons why you love, you know, you love the game and, why you got into it. And sometimes I think that gets lost a bit. It becomes a job. It becomes work. It becomes serious. Yeah, I guess I was I was watching cricket on Saturday and I was just watching it and I just thought it just can't be about the red ball hitting a stump. Piece of wood, can it? It's got to be more than that. And of course it is. So like I'm glued to the cricket. I am a complete neutral. But I, and I know some people who are involved in the team. And I'm like, message them. And I'm just like, I, I'm sure you're getting grief for like some of the approach. But honestly, as a neutral, and like the atmosphere at the ground and people talking about it, and I'm absolutely all in. Yeah. It's it's doing an unbelievable job. And that's where it's, I mean, you can get into a bigger conversation on sports role and bigger than just the game and things like that. But it, it, it totally is. They're, they're, in that instance, they're bringing life and into the game but they're also giving you a bit of an ins a much bigger insight into how they're going about it so they're giving they're giving you way more access as well as there being social media things like that but they're talking so much more about the conversations that are going on in the changing room and i think that that not only will have a knock-on effect on bringing people into the game improving the game more participation but actually from a local community, like I'm going to a local cricket club tonight to help some of their guys out. 
And I have no doubt that they will feel energized by seeing how the coaches are dealing with it, how the players are talking about it. Like Joe Root gave an interview recently about a, a game that an innings that he had in, I think, one of the previous test matches. Straight away, the first thing that they asked him was like, how was that? How did you, what was, today was a good day? And he goes, I had so much fun. You know, how cool is that? Like, how cool is that? And I, and I think about those interviews that you get in sport and I always just look at interviews from athletes and I'm like, okay, here we go. Flick the media switch and here comes the, today was a good day, boys played hard, like everything was good and yada, yada, yada. And it was just so refreshing because you're like, this guy is loving what he's doing. And in a professional environment, that can get sucked out of you because it can be so serious. The media or the societal pressures of got, got to go hard, got to pound yourself to the floor and you've got to be tough, tough, tough. And actually the playfulness of it, you forget you're just playing a game. You forget your sport is an entertainment industry, right? So it should be fun. Like you only yeah, watch the best. I guess, it, as you said, depends what we think the purpose of, of sport is, isn't it? Like, England could play poorly, the game could be boring, and the game could die. So rugby's having an existential crisis, isn't it? I think the game needs more energy about it. It needs more characters. It needs uh, a brand that like lights people's eyes up. It needs difference. It probably needs some superheroes and some super, super heroines. I think the women's game is almost like coming at a quicker rate. The engagement of the women's players, I think, is remarkable with the fans. I think like the atmosphere at the, at the recent game against France was amazing. Uh, some stuff I've noticed about cricket, I obviously speak to a few of the people, but uh, they default to open, don't they? they they're willing to share stuff. Mm. Uh, I love Mo Bobat said to me about Ben Stokes, like the big moments find him. I think that's a great like yeah. thing about as a psychologist. And then he told me the story of the bench and how Brendan McCullum was just like, we need a bench. The training, I think at Lords or whatever, like we need a bench. Some, and he was like, man, of all the stuff in the world you could do, like you need a bench. And people were like, why is he asking for this bench? He's obsessed with this bench. And the bench was just there next to the net so people could chat, share ideas, peer-to-peer, um, all the stuff that, like, probably a bit like your, your description of the guy that was in the nets with his mate bowling at him, and then mm. they sit down, they have a bit of a chat. And he just wanted, again, to probably make it feel a bit more playful and a bit more like you're just with your mates in the park. Yeah, no, totally right. Look, Russell, I can't believe how quick time's going. It's um, it's, it's absolutely flying by. So I I just have sort of a, I guess, a big question for you. It's, it's a simple, but it might not be so easy to answer. Uh, what is coaching to you? Well, I always start off with the slide of what is coaching to me. So this could be a long answer. Many apologies. However, I think it's helping people help themselves. But I do have a slide because I think that it's vital. Often, like, we get into arguments and stuff because we we haven't agreed on what we think coaching is or like, and talk about our stories and where we've come from. And I think it's really good problem setting. And I think psychology is everywhere and people are at different bus stops and understanding how people can be at their best and what makes them wobble. And, and then I think it's longitudinal. I don't think short-term. All of those things are vital to me. And the purpose of sport is about enjoyment. And I go to the township, Kalisha, outside Cape Town, and it reminds me of, it kind of resets me around sport. But ultimately, I think it's about helping people help themselves. So I know we chatted beforehand. Like I've definitely agreed, you know, didn't work with organizations where I'll go, look, we're going to do this for six months. And then 
you're going to run this all yourselves. Like, I'm going to help you run it, be able to run it yourselves, but like, it's just not sustainable that like you have to have me in all the time to come and do stuff. So, yeah, helping people help themselves is probably my description of it. Why watch yours? It's very similar. It's quite, it's quite literally along that line. So I, my, mine is helping people just feel good about themselves. So that, that can, I, I think when you are in control of more in your life, then you feel good about yourself. You feel that sense of I'm making decisions, whether they're right or wrong, is totally different. But even if I make a wrong decision, I still feel it was the one done right by me. Um, I don't want to be making a career, whether it's a coach or a player, doing it based on someone else's idea of what I should be or, or an expectation or maybe even trying to copy another player. I fell into a trap like that really early in a pro environment. I someone said to me, I, I would, I'm very similar to a past player at the club. And so I went back and looked at tape and tried to model things to like how he did things. So I was like, well, if he's had success, then maybe I'll have success. But actually didn't really help create my own version of myself and be successful in that way. And I think if I'd done that earlier, I would have maybe fast-tracked myself a little bit better understood myself a lot more because I'm not looking at external factors to try and get the answer. So yeah, most of it's just generally trying to help people feel good about themselves. Um, and that's obviously, there's so much that goes into that. Yeah, nice. Um, if you've got advice for a coach right now that is that is looking to maybe change or develop themselves, what, what is the, I know there's many steps, what is be the first step you would give a coach right now that's looking to develop themselves um well i got asked it yesterday so yeah i would just go coach lots in lots of environments boys girls men women performance development whatever we mean by that able-bodied disabled uh different age groups uh different sports but also like probably my caveat is like hang out with good coaches like understand like what good coaching looks like who you reflect with is really important uh expertise is defined by the peer group so get in amongst some good coaches share stuff share problems i uh, probably wasn't lucky enough to have that when i started out and the internet wasn't such a big thing and uh, there wasn't like coaching communities like there is now so yeah that would probably be mine and then yeah, just have real good intention around it. So reflecting when I did that, why did I do it? What other options did I think about? What would have made me do that differently? Like, just get really into like understanding like why you're doing stuff. Your your format in which you do things and your I guess do you have a framework that you have the way you do things? But do yeah, do you have a framework in how you work? You're the like fourth person to ask me that in about twelve hours. Yeah, um, we go. I think I would have some frameworks for some stuff, but I guess like I wouldn't necessarily have one. So wouldn't go. Oh, it's this. Some people might go on oh, coaching conversations that you grow or grow, you know, or whatever. I wouldn't have that stuff. Um, I think I would have options. Um, I have. I asked the same question to Owen Eastwood when he did the podcast because I was because sometimes I feel like I need to have more frameworks. Mm. I guess I'll just help people. I might have a thinking tool to go, well, what about this? Have you thought about this? But then the other thing I think we often do is simplify. So I was 
we had Mustafa on the uh, Bounce Back Ability podcast the other day, and he said, I use a challenge and support. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, what's on the Z-axis? And he said, oh, that's a good question. I'm, I'll go away. And, but again, sometimes we like, I, I, I'm always going, oh, what's like, if there was a Z-axis, what would it be on this kind of framework? So I guess the answer is no. I have lots of stuff that I would use. Uh, I guess like sometimes I get it right, sometimes I get it wrong. I love it when people create their own frameworks around stuff. So work with a guy, Mike Donaldson, who's who's at Reading and has now gone to Arsenal as a coach. And uh, he was like, he listened to all the stuff around cards that we did. And he went, oh, I've created my own framework, Rusty, for reflection. So it'd be great if when you feed back to me, you would base it around this. And I was like, oh, man, that's pretty cool. Like, I'm enjoying that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and whether you've been asked this before or not, I don't know. But how long how long has this taken you to do? To do what? Like to 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 build out the way you do what you do. Oh yeah, it's a long time, isn't it? Like probably started coaching like 20 years ago. And I guess I'm really lucky that I have and it and it hurts your brain as well, that I have a, a huge variety of experiences and opportunities and connections and like I'm always learning. Like I had a Zoom this morning with someone, and I was there's something I was curious about. So I sent I sent uh, I sent a message to a couple of people. I said phoning a friend, and then I sent them. I said, "What's the three things that makes you think about?" So have access to some great minds that can also help me problem solve, which is vital, really. Mm, yeah, I think that's what this podcast has been able to do for me. Is is just open up those connections. Hey, and... It's CPDA, honestly. Oh, it's the best. It's quite literally the best. It's cathartic for myself it's it's just the best educational platform that i could have ever asked for the best university i could ask for and i've i'm just looking for more and more people to go and open up that that university for me <laughs> so uh, i'm with you so we've done i've probably done 300 plus hours of intentional i don't care if anyone listens to the podcast like for me it's been like amazing and like proper experts and like you know, like honestly, and so able to that remember stories or go, oh, that framework's interesting, or I'm going to try that, or I'm, yeah, just like I would recommend it to anyone. Yeah, yeah, it's such a good process. Look, last thing I always ask guests is, is there anything that you are watching, reading, have listened to in the past, or like whether it's a documentary, a book that has inspired you that you may be recommending all the time? Uh, yeah, I've got lots of books that I, that I read. Uh, <laughs> I'm not that good at reading. I'll start there. If, if it's a book that I'm reading at the moment, I'm reading Work Rules. Okay. So by a guy, uh, Laszlo, who was at, I don't know if he's still at Google, I was at Google, but a real good perspective on some slightly different approaches around like recruitment and talent development and in a work context. So I obviously do a fair bit of business stuff. So I've been recommending this to lots of people. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll start books. I collect them. I got loads of books. Like, yeah, um, I love to kill a mockingbird, but it's not helping me with coaching. <laughs> no worries, uh, R- Russell. Where's the best place for for me to send people if they want to follow more of what you're doing and get in touch if they need to? Yeah, probably just Twitter at Russell Earnshaw. Um, just ignore my um, uh, attacks on the Tory party. They are, they are perfectly well-meaning. And then rusty at themagicacademy.co.uk is my email. I'm pretty good at saying yes and reaching back to people. So Awesome. Mate, thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome to talk to you. Um, I, I've learned so much and just following your work, learning all the time. So keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're 
carving an unreal path. So thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir.